God. Becky, look at her butt. It is so spooky. Spooky. (laughs) (laughs) You guys don't know how hard I fought to keep that in. What's up? How the fuck have you been? OMG. I don't know what I'm doing. It's done been a minute, y'all. It has. It's been, uh, it's been uh, just downhill. (laughs) Just downhill. (laughs) No, we had a Haunted Heart Spring Break. We hope that you guys had a wonderful Haunted Heart Spring Break in June. It's fine. We forgot how to podcast. It's okay. No, literally. I I sat down and I'm like, how do I plug in? Why? (laughs) We sound checked this motherfucker twice before we realized the fucking cable wasn't plugged in, y'all. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. So I'm like, what is Sage? How do how does one Sage? How a mic? does one talk into a mic? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you, I took a one week break from podcasting and my life fell apart. It's just so weird because you don't think like we've literally have done this every week for over a year. Yeah. And so you just don't think about like how different it is to not do it. Yeah, it like, almost becomes like a habit. how much time you have to like be with your family and, and live like a person lives. No, I'm kidding. No, I would die without you. Truly. We actually tested it this fucking week. Yeah. My titty almost fell off. No, she's serious, folks. <laughs> I, I did. I got an infection. I had to go get stuck with a needle. It was terrible. Yep. Yep. They had to cut her tit off, y'all. No, nah, they didn't take it. Only a part of it. They didn't take it all. But hey. If they did have to take your titties because the real ones tried to kill you, you know what? You real motherfucker. That's true. Fists up for breast cancer. That's true. Tits out for breast cancer. Tits out. Tits. Wow. Hmm. I also don't know how to talk, apparently. Hmm. Hmm. No, it's good. It's good. So we hope that you guys had a beautiful, wonderful break. Um, We missed you very much. And we're happy to be back. We're happy to be back in in the pod Pod zone. The pod zone. Yeah, I was gonna say the zone. Highway to the pod zone zone. The the zone zone. You know that song, that Kenny Loggins song. No. Where he's like highway to the, and it's supposed to be danger zone, but you can make it like Parks and Rec made it Cal zone zone. We would make it pod zone zone. Okay. Well. All right. Well, did, didn't follow me. Right, didn't follow cool. me. Kenny no. Loggins fans out sure. there, <laughs> burning bright. All right. We got some business to attend to, don't we? We do. We do. Shit, girl, we were gone for a week, and they still showed up. (laughs) They they did. (laughs) We have two new Patreon members to invoke today to welcome to our ranks. Our ranks. Our rank ranks. (laughs) We do. We do. I can't believe it, TBH. (laughs) Honestly. Honest to God. Honest to God, y'all. <laughs> Can you it just shock every me fucking literally time? Every time. I'm <laughs> me like too. that meme. Yeah. No, I'm like the Pikachu meme where it's like, where the shocked Pikachu. <laughs> I'll get the email and it'll pop up and I'll be like, oh shit. We I'm, still text each other. We'll be like, oh damn. I'm I'm the I'm the shocked Pikachu meme where it's like, sets up Patreon for <laughs> donations when receiving donations and it's just a picture of pikachu and he's like somebody donates (laughs) (laughs) like that's literally me if somebody in the facebook group can make a meme of kenny that is the pikachu meme for me that would be fabulous uh that would be me that would be good (laughs) (laughs) i do all of that 
all the graphics. All the graphics. Yeah. So this week, we are welcoming two beautiful, lovely, fabulous women to our ranks. And I have the first. Her name is Megan. Like Prince. Just one name, Megan. Ooh, No last initial. She's a brand new cannibal cult member. Ooh, we love So y'all know she hungry. Them damn cannibals, man. They do. We got a lot of cannibals. Shit. Y'all just love eating people. Y'all want those damn videos, don't you? What is it? What's your favorite part? (laughs) Favorite part of the person? Yeah. Ah. To eat. Mm. What's your favorite part? I think I would like snacking on the thigh. The thigh? Like a big old juicy. I say this as I've been like three weeks vegan. <laughs> like I even know what meat is She's anymore. Like, I'm sorry. I'm like, hey, Katie, how's it going? She's like, I'm plant-based now. I'm plant-based. <laughs> no, I'm calling it plant-based because I have a problem with the, I mean, with if you're vegan, vegan, I love you. You're beautiful. I accept you. But vegans just have such a bad fucking reputation that I feel like I can't be vegan. But you're not vegan though. Plant-based and vegan are the same thing, babe. It's just a different terminology. Yeah, but I thought I saw you eat an egg. No. Not in the past three weeks you haven't. Hmm. Anyway, this isn't about me. This is about Megan, who most definitely is a meat eater because she is a brand new cannibal cult member. And our next invocation is for Morgan N., who is yet another goddamn cannibal cult member, y'all. Seriously, you have a fucking problem. They ain't vegan. And I love it. They eating all that meat. Now remember, y'all, your candles will stay lit by our sides, definitely through the rest of this episode, but forever and ever and ever and ever in our dark, dark hearts. Welcome to the family. Welcome. Well, welcome. I'm hoping (laughs) that you're feeling powerful. Have Have a seat. Have a seat. <laughs> Why don't you stay a minute? I'm excited. The candles are lit. The fire is roaring. We have our wine. We do. We have wine this episode. I'm ready to tell a fucking story. A story. Podcast listeners are like, and we are too, bitch. It's been fucking 15 minutes. It's like, only been nine. <laughs> okay, great. Time flies and you're having fun. Here's what we're going to do. We decided that we would throw it back to the beginning vibes, to the beginning vibes of the podcast, back when Kenny and I would research independent. We still mostly do this, but we research independently. We don't talk about what we're researching, and what we're talking about is a total surprise to each other on air. Because usually we research stuff independently, but then before we record the episode, we kind of work out the logistics of how shit's going to fit together. And this time, girl, we said, let's throw it back. Let's just do our own thing. Each of us will research a story that we can cover on the air, and we'll bring it to each other fresh and new, hot and fresh and ready like Little Caesars. Like a Little Caesars pizza, baby. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we come into you today. 
So I have a story. Kenny has a story. Um, and it was just stuff that we thought would be interesting for you guys, for each other, and um, just kind of a free space episode, if you will. Mm-hmm. If you guys were on our happy uh, Rainbow Rave live on Facebook a couple weeks ago where we played bingo. LGBTQ plus bingo, by the way. They weren't, but okay. <laughs> Some of them were. Some of them were. Um, yes. So I have a story this week. Um, this is a story that I've wanted to cover for a long time, but we never quite had a theme. A free space? Yeah, we never had a free space episode. And if you guys like this, let us know because we can do, you know, more of these if it works out. It could be complete fucking train wreck. In which case, email wouldn't us be at that the much haunted di- heart at gmail.com. <laughs> I was going to say, in which case, it wouldn't be that much different than what we normally fucking do. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of used to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to cover this case for a really, really, really long time because I think it's really fascinating, but I never really had a theme where it would, it would quite fit. Say really so, again. I know. <laughs> I know. Sometimes as we're podcasting, like a sentence will come out of me. And as it's coming out, I'm like, you dumb bitch. Would you call me? And we could go back and edit it, but no. <laughs> edit? <laughs> Who does that? Not us. Technically, you do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Fuck. According to the nameplate that I bought you for Christmas. According to the nameplate that sits right in front of me all the time. <laughs> Literally Every always. Every goddamn day. So, my story this week has a twist. It's got a lot of twists, actually. It's very interesting. Um, it. I'm not talking about a victim today. I'm talking about five. Five? Like yes. the five guys? Five. Only they weren't all guys. Oh. And it's much sadder. Oh. Great. Just what I wanted. Just what I wanted. I am covering the case of the Sodder children. S-O-D-D-E-R. So the case takes place in West Virginia in 1945. So yes, even though I'm talking about kids again. Wow. It takes place a really long time ago, which doesn't distract from the fact that they were children, human beings, life, whatever. Um, not whatever. <laughs> I feel like Katie, that's really crass. You're really just, you're really just hitting it. Man. You know, it's it's who we are. Uh, no, but it, the case takes place in 1945, so there's a little bit of distance. I feel like when we're talking about something horrible that happened, you know, like when I covered um, the case of the girl in the box. Um, they, or as I like to call her, as we like to call her, the girl who found her way outside the box. Outside the box, yes. Um, that happened, like, so close to recent history that it's, you know, she's still alive today. She's still, like, dealing with issues that she has, you know, left over from that sort of situation. And so it's a lot harder to talk about recent murder cases and recent, like, um, I guess, bad things that happened to people in recent true crime for me because it's like those people are still around. Like, you know, Dennis Rader's daughter is like around. She has a book. She has like she's a person. And so when we're talking about things like that, I feel like there's so much more. Not that there's more relevance, but there's just a lot of um, the wounds are fresher, I guess I should say. 
Um, and it feels a lot closer, whereas if we get a little distance, then it kind of almost puts it in a historical space for me, kind of. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that, um, you know, it just takes a certain uh, level of talent in order to cover some recent cases that we, you know, struggle with sometimes. But, you know... I feel like I feel like we do it. Are you talking, are you saying that my recent case coverage is shitty? Cuz I might have to agree with you. No, no. No. No, I'm <laughs> going to take another sip of my wine here. No. So this case is super fascinating. Originally we had talked about covering um, two random paranormal stories in this episode. Kenny and I had kind of kicked around that idea and I was kind of looking at some paranormal stuff and nothing was really jumping out at me. We both have kind of um, idea boxes, kind of like a list of things that we can pull from and I, I just wasn't feeling particularly inspired. And so I kind of dug around um and I eventually stumbled on a really good Vox article that was like about true horror stories that actually happen to people. And you guys know I'm more of a true crime person than I am um, a paranormal person, even though I'm kind of both, right? We can both get down into that. And that's weird shit. Yes. <laughs> um, but this was kind of this story. Um, the Sider Children case is kind of a blend of both. And so I was like, oh, this would be perfect. So. It takes place in West Virginia, as I said, in 1945, um, on Christmas Eve night is when... You couldn't save this for our Christmas episode, bitch. No. Now, what are we going to do for Christmas? (laughs) Another episode on Krampus. (laughs) What we didn't cover the first time around. The Twitter reviews. Part two. Yeah. No. Um, it has a lot less to do with Christmas, though, and a lot more to do with, like, fucking weird-ass, spooky fucking conspiracy bullshit. But let's get into it. Okay. I'm about it. So, uh, the Sodder family, uh, this is this is basically what everybody knows happened. Because in this case, it kind of, there are two sort of portions for this case there's like what we know and then what we don't know and unfortunately there's a whole lot more that we don't know than what we know what we know is that on the night before christmas of 1945 george and jenny sodder and nine of their 10 children went to sleep their 10th son was actually away in the army and in 1945 he would have been in like world war ii Mm. um so Their 10th child is away fighting in the army. George and Jenny bed down. And around 1 a.m. between 1 and 1.30, most reports say a fire broke out in the house. George, Jenny, and four of their children escaped. But the other five were never seen again. Uh, Reports say that George had tried to save them. He broke a window to try to re-enter the house, and in the process, he sliced his arm open and was bleeding. Uh, he said he couldn't see anything through the smoke and the fire. Uh, he was searching for two-year-old Sylvia, 17-year-old Marion, and his two sons, 23-year-old John, 16-year-old George Jr., um, and he, you know, raced through the house, basically wasn't able to find them, came back outside, was hoping to be able to get to them through the upstairs windows because he thought that they were trapped upstairs. Um, wasn't able to do that. 
eventually tried to put the fire out by scooping water from a brain uh a brain a brain <laughs> scooping water from a brain uh no <laughs> scooping water from a rain barrel uh but the water was frozen solid being that it was christmas eve um or i guess at that point christmas if it had already gone past you know what though the water is mostly brain very fucking oh, christmas shit. fuck um the, the brain, brain is mostly water i think <laughs> yours definitely is for sure <laughs> yeah that uh so tragically george was not george senior was not able to put the fire out um and his children it was assumed perished in the fire um the fire department was called they didn't respond so eventually a neighbor actually drove into town and tracked down the fucking chief the fire chief which is amazing that you could do that in 1945 you could just drive the fuck into town and find the fire chief um (laughs) Fire Chief Morris, who came back um, and brought some fucking firefighters. And um, the firefighting crew didn't arrive until 8 a.m. Again, the fire broke out between 1 a.m. and 1.30. Um, By 8 a.m., the Sodders house was reduced to a smoking pile of ash. Now, interestingly, a search of the grounds that Christmas Day turned up no trace of remains of any of the... uh, Children who it was believed were deceased in the fire. Um, So the Chief Morris said that that wasn't at all unusual, that probably the fire was hot enough to completely cremate the bodies so that there were no remains. How awful. He walked around uh, through the rubble and eventually uh, attributed the fire to faulty wiring in the house. George covered the basement with about five feet of dirt, intending to preserve the site as a memorial to his lost children. And the coroner's office issued five death certificates just before the New Year. So, again, this happens on Christmas Eve to Christmas Day, right? Then we have six days to the New Year. Uh huh. And the death certificates are issued just before the New Year. So, within a week, the case is closed. It's a result of faulty, faulty wiring. Death certificates are issued, and we're done. Right. The death certificate stated that the children died. Um, The cause of death was attributed to fire or suffocation. So that's what we know. Those are the facts. Those are the facts of the case. If you uh, could tell by my thick, thick sarcasm, I don't necessarily know that that is uh, that this case is as cut and dry as the Fayetteville, West Virginia authorities intended it to appear. Um, Neither do the Sodders. The Sodders, shortly after death certificates were issued so hastily, began to wonder if their children might still be alive. Ooh, okay. So, a little background on the family. George Sodder was born, Giorgio Sadu in Tula, Sardinia in 1895, and then he immigrated to the United States in 1908 when he was 13 years old. An older brother accompanied him to Ellis Island, but then immediately returned back to Italy, leaving George on his own to build his own life. He found work on the Pennsylvania Railroads. Um, Originally, he was just carrying water and supplies to the laborers, and then I think he was able to um, learn enough trade that he could kind of like have a trade of his own because a few years later he moved to Smithers, West Virginia. Um, he started working as a driver and then launched his own trucking company 
and he would haul dirt for construction and later freight and coal. One day, he walked into a local store in Smithers called The Music Box, and he met the owner's daughter, Jenny Cipriani, who had come over from Italy when she was three. So very cute. He's a working man. I'm picturing like a thick mustache. A mustache. I tell you exactly what I'm, I'm picturing Lady Gaga in boy drag. As that piano player, Joe. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm fucking picturing okay. <laughs> in my All right. mind. All right. Yes. I see it. Not quite, but but, but almost. somehow. Close. Close, yes. Somehow he's wearing a white wife beater <laughs> that maybe has some coal stains on it. I don't know. So George and Jenny meet. They fall madly in love. Uh, they have 10 children. That's the madly in That's love part. That's a lot, y'all. Mm. That's 10. Think I'm going to tell it. you what, ten. he hauling something other than freight. <laughs> he hauling freight so. into that pussy, Shit. honey. Right damn. into that damn snatch. Lord. Honey, I think he packs pie. <laughs> Lord. I mean, 10 kids. That's 10 humans you have pushed out of your your body. Between 1923 and 1943, too. So she was having one every other year, honey. Shit. She maxed out her fertility window. That, 100%. That card is maxed. It was maxed, Jesus. honey. Jesus. Props to you, I don't know you, what Jenny. I would do with 10 kids. The music box, indeed. The magic box. <laughs> music box? Fuck. <laughs> See what I mean about older cases being more fun? I'm so glad we can do this. I don't have to worry about insulting Jenny. So they have 10 children between 1923 and 1943 and eventually settle in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Fayetteville is a small Appalachian town um, that actually has... Appalachian? Latchin. You remember what I say? (laughs) If you call it Appalachia, we'll throw an Appalachia. (laughs) I fucking love that joke, man. <laughs> you bait me for that joke I all the time. I fucking love that joke. Hundred um, percent. It's how you teach people the truth. She actually threw an apple at me, <laughs> and I liked it. It was a it was a golden delicious though, not a delicious Fuji or a Honeycrisp. Mm. Honeycrisp. <laughs> We're not sponsored by Honeycrisp. Um, Yes, so they're in Fayetteville, West Virginia, and one of the interesting defining characteristics of Fayetteville is there's a very small but very active Italian immigrant community there. Uh, the Sodders um, were part of that community, and they were one of the most well-respected middle-class families around, according to the county magistrate. Wait, do we not just call this the mafia? <laughs> well, interesting that you would mention that, because... Maybe we're going there. Oh, okay. Maybe that's a place oh, that we okay. might be headed to. All right. Uh, so, um, George, everybody seemed to respect George. He seemed to be a pretty stand-up guy. Um, and he was also very opinionated. He would talk about his opinions on everything from business <laughs> to current events and politics. And if you have any Italians in your life, you know exactly what I fucking mean. You know George. George is probably in your fucking family, babe. Mm-hmm. Like, the opinionated Italian man who is just giving you what he fucking thinks about things and laying it out there for you. Like, it's a thing. Um, but interestingly, people said that George was very um, 
hesitant to talk about his youth at all. There was none of the, you know, when I was a boy or back in Italy or whatever, which is not, um, you know, not to fucking generalize Italians, but like that's that's not necessarily usually the person who's sharing their opinions on everything and who's super talkative is the guy who's like getting together with a bunch of his bros and like throwing it back to, you know, like when we were a boy and they are extroverted personalities. So you wouldn't think that they would be hesitant to overshare. Right. Like back in Sardinia, you know, we did this or we ate this or we, you know, Sardinia, but that was not a thing. Um, that was not a thing with George. George never talked about his youth. And he also never explained what had happened back in Italy to make him want to leave at age 13. Well, obviously, to come to America. The American for that fucking American dream. dream the American dream of hauling freight and packing that puss every day for 20 fucking years. Said, we need some children. He said, I'm going to go to America and have 10 kids. Okay, Probably not go. in that accent, but. That's okay. If he'd stayed in Italy, maybe he would have had 20, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> How can you blame him? You know I what I mean? Know. Have you seen Italian men? They're adorable. They're oh, very of sweet. Course. Of course. They're very, they're very Got one locked up in my basement right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, ladies. If you're feeling bad about yourself, go to Italy. Every single Italian man will want to fuck you. It's great. <laughs> now, do they want to like stay fucking faithful to you and be with you and establish a life with you? Probably not. But, you know. Are you telling them to go out and eat, pray, love their shit? I am. My own version. Which is like gorge, fuck, fuck. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, gorge, gorge fuck, fuck dance. Somebody put it on a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> gorge, fuck, and, and hex. So, um, the solder, this is kind of the backstory of how, you know, the solders came to Fayetteville, um, contextual information, all of that sort of thing to kind of set the scene. So after the Christmas Eve fire and the kind of, um, I guess, rapid closure of that event, you know, within a week we have death certificates, it's closed, it's a done deal. Uh, the Sodders start sort of thinking. They planted flowers across the space where their house used to be. And then they started kind of putting pieces together. There were a series of really strange things that happened leading up to the fire. One day, randomly, a stranger appeared at the home. This was a few months before the incident um, in the fall. And this stranger shows up and asks about hauling work. He, because of course, you know, George has that hauling company where he hauls freight and coal and whatever to construction sites. So this stranger shows up, asks about hauling work. In the process, he meanders to the back of the house and points to two separate fuse boxes on the back of the house. And he made an interesting comment. He said, this is going to cause a fire someday. And George thought that that was really interesting, especially given that he had just had the wiring checked by the local power company. And the local power company pronounced that it was in fine condition. Mm. Around the same time, there Wait, was another man. He, he didn't say why? He, he didn't. didn't he just said why? this is going to cause a fire someday. But no. He soothsayed that shit. He didn't shit. say why? Why do you think that? Mm, I don't know. Maybe not. Man didn't give a reason. 
Um, he probably was like, get the fuck off my property. Why are you wandering around to the back of my fucking house and fiddling with my fucking gonna, fuse boxes, you psycho? box is going to cause a fire one That's day. how I imagine it, honestly. <laughs> I'm going to need you to get the fuck out of my goddamn house. Get out. Now. So around the same time, a different man tried to sell the family life insurance. This is, again, in the fall. And that man, uh, when George said, nah, you know, I'm good. Don't need any life insurance. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. He had an interesting reaction. He became irate. And he yelled at George, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini, who at that time was Italy's dictator, right? Benito Mussolini. Piece of shit. Fascist. For a split second, I thought you were saying fascinator. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) A piece of shit fascinator. Uh, Fun fact, his nickname was El Duce. So (laughs) how well did that work out for you, (laughs) Musso? Um, George was actually really, really outspoken. Remember, he was super opinionated about politics and all that kind of shit. He was really opinionated and he was super, he was known for being super outspoken about his dislike for Benito Mussolini. And he occasionally would get in these heated arguments with other members of Fayetteville's Italian community. So to George, like, on the one hand, yes, an insurance man screaming at you that your house is going to, your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed is frightening. Just a little bit. You know, what's with all these men coming to this house? Well, the insurance guy didn't necessarily come to the house. He oh. was just trying to sell them stuff. I, I would he may have come to the house. I, was, I think back in that day, milk like, delivery and insurance people came to your house, yeah, right? Yeah, it sounded like he was at the house. Hmm. Why all these men coming in the house? That's Why what I y'all got know. all these men up in this house? That's what I want to know. Maybe not all them kids, but he is. Let's not besmirch this family. Oh. <laughs> How about? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so while that was weird that, you know, obviously somebody would snap and lose their fucking shit like that, it wasn't necessarily... Um, it didn't stand out to George at the time as particularly odd because... You know, he's Italian. Sometimes tempers run a little hot, you know. And and he did get in heated arguments with other, you know, Italian, other members of the Italian community there in Fayetteville. So he just really didn't take it seriously. He kind of just let it go. Um, and then there was a third man who was noticed by the elder Sodder sons um, just before Christmas. The, they noticed a man who was parked along U.S. Highway 21 who was intently watching the younger kids as they came home from school. Mm-mm. So we have three different men. Um, and it could, honestly, George had an interaction with the guy who came asking for work, right? And he also had an interaction with the, with the insurance agent. But... George didn't have any interaction with the guy who was parked along U.S. Highway 21, so that could have been one or the other of those guys, or it could have been a third guy. Who who knows, you know? Right. Um, so very strange. Around... Suspicious. Very suspicious. So it, it doesn't stop there, obviously. Um, around 12.30 a.m. on Christmas morning... 
after the kids had opened a few presents and everybody, this is Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, right before the fire. Um, the kids, you know, Jenny and George let him open a couple presents and everybody had kind of gone to bed. A phone rang. Jenny rushed to answer the phone, thinking maybe it's an emergency. You know, their son is off in the army. It's 1230 in the morning. What's going on? Why is the phone ringing? She picks up the phone and an unfamiliar female voice asks for an unfamiliar name. And when Jenny didn't recognize the name, the voice on the end of the line laughed raucously. And she thought she could hear glasses clinking in the background Jenny then said you have the wrong number and hung up tiptoeing back to bed she noticed that all of the downstairs lights were still on and the curtains were opened and that's not the way that they left the downstairs when they went to bed oh no ma'am she then noticed that the front door was unlocked She saw one of her children, Marion, asleep on the sofa in the living room and just assumed that the other kids were upstairs in bed and that maybe Marion had turned on the lights and opened the windows. She didn't really think. You know how it is when you wake up in the middle of the night. You know, she's awakened from, you know, a deep sleep at 1230 in the morning by this phone call that was super weird. And I'm sure that she was kind of thinking about the phone call in her head. I, I know I would have been. Oh, totally. Um, Like, you're thinking, who is that that called? Like, what is that name? Is that somebody that I know? Have I ever heard that name before? Like, that was super fucking weird. Why are they calling me on Christmas? And and so she kind of just walks through the house and cuts all the lights out and draws all the curtains again. Um, She locks the front door and then returns to her room, goes back to bed. She had just started to doze off when she heard one sharp bang on the roof and then a rolling noise. And then she went to sleep. Mm. About an hour later, she was aroused once again from sleep, this time by heavy smoke that was curling into the room that she shared with George. And that's when she realized the house is on fire. And the scene plays out as I described it, you know, at the beginning of the story with George, you know, um, Jenny and George getting the kids that were downstairs out of the house and then being worried about the other kids that Jenny assumed were upstairs. Um, And, you know, George is fighting to try to get back in the house. He's not able to get back in. The house burns down. And then everybody, you know, the fire marshal or the fire chief, and the police inspector and the um, coroner all say, you know, they, they died in the fire. And there's no remains because they were just cremated, right? That detail Jenny took issue with. She could not understand how five children could just, she as well as fucking myself, obviously, could not understand how five children could perish in a fire and leave absolutely no bones, no flesh, no clothing, nothing. Nothing of these children were found, was found. I mean, like, yeah, even, like, all of them. Like, okay, maybe one, you know what I mean? Like, but that literally happened to all of them? 
Right. You know what I'm there saying? There were five like, different bodies. There were five different bodies. And you telling me that hap- that same thing happened to literally all of them at the same time? Yes. So um, Jenny found fault with that. I do as well. Um, and she even started doing her own experiment, right? Like we have Wikipedia. We have Google. I have all these fucking like cool ass shit. So I just Googled what temperature does bone melt at, right? <laughs> Um, and, uh, bone evaporates at around 1500 degrees Celsius, but most house fires do not burn anywhere near that hot. Well, how did she figure that out? So Jenny, (laughs) Jenny didn't have as concrete answers because she didn't have Google, but she conducted her own private experience experiments and she would like save animal bones from things that she would cook like chicken bones and like beef bones and pork bones. She wouldn't, she wouldn't kill nobody. All right, cool. As far as we we know. I thought we were going a direction. Taking a hard left? No. Jenny's a wonderful woman. Okay, cool. We don't, she did not become a serial killer as far as we know. (laughs) Um, But she would conduct her own experiments burning, you know, chicken bones, beef bones, pork bones to see if the fire would consume them. And every single time she was left with a heap of charred bones. Yeah. Another interesting point, if you know, the fire did get hot enough to completely evaporate these children's bones. Let's say it got to 1,500 degrees Celsius. Um, Then it couldn't be possible that remnants of various household appliances were found in the burned-out basement of the Sodder home, and those appliances were still identifiable. Yeah, that's So it was, like, charred, like, appliances. I don't know if it was, like, a refrigerator or, or, like, what sort of things but there were appliances that still looked like appliances because if it can if like my fucking children had been decimated beyond like anything right then why are there still other things that are not right um so jenny found fault with that uh an employee she consulted an employee at a crematorium uh, who informed her that bones remain after bodies are burned for two hours at 2000 degrees fahrenheit so it would be very hard for the children's bodies to be completely decimated considering that their home was destroyed in 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So things are starting not to not to check out, right? Yeah. It continues. A telephone repairman told George and Jenny Sauter that their telephone lines appeared to have been cut, not burned. They realized that if the fire had been electrical, right, the result of faulty wiring, as the official report stated, the power would have been dead. So how would the lights have been downstairs, been on downstairs, as Jenny reported at 1230? Mm. If the wiring was faulty. Yeah. A witness later came forward and said that she saw a man at the fire scene taking a block and tackle that was used for removing car engines. So could he be the reason that George's trucks refused to start when he was trying to pull the truck around to get the ladder up to the window? Because that's one of the things that he did. He was trying to get upstairs, remember, to get the kids. And he was trying to take his truck around because he had a ladder on his truck that would have allowed him to get upstairs. Well, the truck wouldn't start. And a witness said that they saw somebody with this fucking, I don't know what a block and tackle is, in 1945. (laughs) But apparently it's used for taking out the engines of cars. So maybe that was why his car didn't start. Um, 
Another day while the Slaughter family was visiting uh, the site, Sylvia, one of their daughters, found a hard rubber object in the yard. And Jenny recalled hearing that hard thud on the roof right before she fell asleep. And then that rolling sound. And George kind of examined that object and kind of came to his own conclusion that it was a napalm pineapple bomb of the type that was used in warfare. And he thinks that maybe that's what started the fire. Potentially. So lots and lots of super weird things, um, super weird coincidences. Um, One last coincidence that's just kind of, I just find odd. Out of the 10, so there's 10 children, right? One's away at the army, so we're left with nine. Four survive. Five of the nine asked their parents if they could stay up and play with the new toys that they had just gotten for Christmas. Because remember I said that they let George and Jenny let them open some of their presents that night before they went to bed. Right. Five of the kids asked if they could stay up and play with their new toys rather than go to bed. And their parents agreed and went to bed. And those five children are the children who disappeared. Wow. The other four were totally fine. Okay. And those were the kids that when she came down, she just assumed had made it to bed already. Mm-hmm. She just assumed they went to bed. But the door was open. But the door was unlocked. And all the lights were on. Ah. After all of this sort of George and Jenny sort of putting this, these things together, then we have the reports of sightings. A woman claimed to have seen missing the missing children looking out of a passing car while the fire was in process. Another woman who was operating a tourist stop between Fayetteville, West Virginia, and Charleston, West Virginia, which is about 50 miles west, actually not far from D.C., um, that woman said that she saw the children the morning after the fire. She said that she she was a waitress um, at a tourist stop, and she said that she served them breakfast. She said, quote, there was a car with Florida license plates at the tourist court, too. Uh, The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around, and he began speaking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, so I said nothing more, and they left in the early, early the next morning. So there's several different sightings of these children with this group of Italian people, men and women. Yeah. And it's all five of them. Um... In 1947, about two years after the fire, George and Jenny sent a letter to the FBI, and they actually got a reply from J. Edgar Hoover, who said that he would love to help, but it appears that the local authorities totally have it, and he said that the case was appeared to be of, quote, local character. Wait, quote, what? And that it, quote, did not come with the investigative jurisdiction of this Of local character? Yes. Hoover basically said that they would help the Sauter family out if they got permission from local authorities, but the Fayetteville Police and Fire Departments declined the offer of FBI investigation. I can can kind of appreciate that shade a little bit. I feel like that's what we would say like back home when we're like, oh, she's from Pelham. Mm. (laughs) You know? 
she's from uh, here, she's from there, she's from local. But it's a local character. Yeah. yeah. She's from, she, she's of local character. <laughs> she's of local character. <laughs> I feel like that's, uh, I, I, Is that a way of calling somebody homely? I think it is. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Table. I want that on a t-shirt now. She's of local character. Of local character. <laughs> So basically, um, it's at a standstill, right? Because the Sodders want the FBI to look into this because it seems fucking sketchy. And I agree. I mean, just a little bit, you know? And then police, the FBI basically says, if you can get the local authorities to agree to have us, you know, come run up their asses and look at every fucking thing that they did and expose whatever the fuck that they did that was shady as shit, then sure, we'll come help. And so the local police are like, yeah, no. No, we're good. We got it here, folks. (laughs) The police chief was like, (laughs) (laughs) no. No. I don't think I will. Don't believe I, uh, don't believe I need that. That's like asking the person who's corrupt for their permission to investigate their corruption. Right. Really? Do, do you mind if I just send the higher authorities in here to do an inquiry of what you've done? Already? I mean, can we? Like, do you want us to? Okay, you don't? Okay, cool. No, no. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, just let me know, okay? So the Sodders, who are basically caught between a rock and a hard place with the FBI and local authorities... They turned to a private investigator whose name was C.C. Tinsley, which is the perfect name. <laughs> You're the shitting perfect me. name for a private investigator. You are shitting me. And right it's probably now. not real if he's any type of good private investigator. C.C. Tinsley. C.C. Tinsley wears a fucking fedora, a brown fedora hat, <laughs> and a trench coat all the time, no a- matter how hot the summer is in West Virginia. It's fucking humidity's like through the roof. But, but you know what? In, in summer, he wears flip flops. C.C. Tinsley, P.I. Spicing it up. Uh, So C.C. Tinsley discovered that the insurance salesman who threatened George was a member of the coroner's jury that deemed the fire accidental. Coroner's jury? Yes. So the fire was deemed accidental, remember, as a result of, like, faulty wiring or whatever, by, um, I think it was some official decision that was officially, like, from the coroner's office, um, it was all kind of wrapped up together, right? And then the coroner issued the death the death certificates for the kids that said that they died as a result of, like, fire or suffocation. Okay. So that insurance salesman who lost his fucking mind and screamed at George that day was actually on the coroner's jury that ruled that the fire was accidental. And he also... Um, Tinsley also heard a very interesting story from a minister there in Fayetteville about Fire Chief Morris. Um, Although Fire Chief Morris claimed that no remains were found, he supposedly confided to this minister that he had discovered a heart in the ashes that he had hid inside a dynamite box and buried at the scene. So um, Tinsley basically pushed Morris, that that kind of dead-ended, Tinsley pushed Morris to show him the spot, and together they dug up the box, and they took it straight to a local funeral director who kind of poked and prodded the heart, so to speak, and they basically concluded that it was a beef liver, not a heart. A beef liver? Yes. What? Yes. But interestingly, it was untouched by the fire. Weird. Yes. So if bone is evaporating in this fucking fire, 
But I would think that a beef liver, beef liver would not make fucking... it. So that either means that the beef liver was in the fire and the fire was not hot enough to, evapor- to evaporate bone, or the beef liver was left there after the fact in some weird sort of ceremonial bullshit. I don't understand, but okay. Yeah. So, um, over the next few years, the tips sort of continued to trickle in. Um, George saw a newspaper photo of some school kids in New York, in um, like New York, New York, and he was convinced that one of them was his daughter, Betty. He actually drove to Manhattan in search of that child, but the child's parents refused to speak to him. In August of 1949, the Sodders uh, basically did like a reinvestigation of the fire scene and they brought in a DC pathologist whose name was Oscar B. Hunter. Uh, they did a complete excavation of the site and they uncovered several small objects, some damaged coins, a partly burned dictionary, and a couple shards of vertebrae. Hunter sent those bones into the Smithsonian Institution. Um, again in dc um which basically they issued a report i won't bore you with the details but they issued a report saying that those bones were probably from an individual who was about 16 or 17 years old um or that they could also be from a 14 year old so it was kind of basically they said it was probably a boy somewhere between 14 and a half years old or 14 and a half years old and like 17. Okay. So they, but they knew that it was a boy? Yes. But the bones didn't show any evidence that they had been exposed to fire. They said, and the report itself quoted, it is very strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful excavation of the basement of the house, end quote. Hmm. They noted that the house reportedly only burned for about a half hour or so. Again, other reports say 45 minutes. Um, And the Smithsonian Institute specialist said that, quote, one would expect to find the full skeletons of the five children rather than only four vertebrae. Um, Basically, the report concluded that those bones were most likely in the supply of dirt that George had used to fill the basement to create the memorial for his children, which is still fucking creepy that there's human bones and fill dirt, but not impossible, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit weird. Very sketchy. Some fucking other serial killers, like, <laughs> really super fucking nervous. Very, very sketchy. So um, the Smithsonian report obviously is very, you know, kind of raising red flags. Finally, we're getting red flags that are being raised, which is like, why don't we have the fucking skeletons of these children? Where did the bones go? Um, after that report came out, that basically prompted um, the governor of West Virginia and the state police superintendent, um, Oki L. Patterson was the government governor's name, Oki. Okay. And uh, the police, the state police superintendent was W.E. Burchett. Um, they basically told the Sodders that their search was, quote, hopeless, and they declared the case completely closed. So again, we have West Virginia officials who are very much fucking shutting this shit down. Uh-huh. Um, George and Jenny did not give up, though, and they put up a billboard along Route 16, uh, and passed out flyers that offered a $5,000 reward for any information leading to the recovery of their children, and then they later increased that to 10000 
Um, they received a letter from a woman in St. Louis saying that their oldest girl, Martha, was in a convent there. They got another tip from Texas that said um, it was a patron in a bar who overheard a really weird conversation about a long-ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. Somebody in Florida claimed that the children were staying with a distant relative of Jenny's. Um, George traveled around after every lead that they got. He always went to check it out and always came home with no answers. In 1968, remember the crime took place in 45, in 68, over 20 years after the fire, Jenny went to get the mail and found an envelope addressed only to her. It was postmarked in Kentucky, but it had no return address. Inside was the photo of a man in his mid-20s. On its flip side, there was a cryptic note. You know I love a cryptic note, girl. Mm -hmm. And it read... Quote, Lewis Sodder, I love Brother Frankie, a little boys, A90132 or 35, end quote. And they looked at this picture, um, and you can find the picture online, and you can compare it to the picture um, of Lewis Sodder, who was nine at the time of the fire, um, and it does look a lot like him. There's obvious similarities. Both of them have dark curly hair. Both of them have dark brown eyes. The nose is exactly the same. The eyebrow, particularly the left eyebrow, a lot's been made of that, of like how that brow kind of cocks up a little bit. Um, They hired another private detective, sent that guy to Kentucky, never heard from him again. Just totally disappeared. And nothing ever came from the photo. Um, the Sodders wanted to look into it further, but they, they worried that if they published the letter or the name of the town on that postmark that something could happen to their son. So instead they just amended the billboard to include that image of Lewis. Um, in an interview late in life in 1968, George said, time is running out for us, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire, we, would, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. And he died one year later, still hoping for a break in the case. Um, Jenny, it's kind of sad. Um, after George's death, she built a fence around her property and then just started adding rooms to her home. She just added rooms and rooms and rooms, basically building out between her and the outside. Um, she wore black ever since the fire. She never left she went into mourning the day after the fire and never came out of mourning. Um, she died in 1989, so almost 20 years after George. Uh, after her death, the billboard finally came down. The billboard stood for decades. Yeah. Um, billboard came down in 1989, and her children and grandchildren basically continued the investigation and kept trying to come up with theories of their own. Um, the local mafia... Somebody, you you mentioned the mafia earlier. Somebody suggested that the local mafia had maybe tried to recruit George and that he had declined or that they had tried to extort money from him and he refused. Um, Others thought that the kids might have been kidnapped by somebody that they knew, somebody who burst into that unlocked front door, told them about the fire, and offered to take them someplace safe. Others said that maybe they didn't survive the fire, maybe they didn't survive that night, Um, and... Others still think that they did somehow survive, however they did. 
um, and that maybe it really was Lewis in that photograph, but that they weren't able to contact their parents only because they wanted to, the kids weren't able to contact the parents only because they wanted to protect them. We still don't have any answers in the Sodder case, and you guys know how I hate a, a, a cold case. Um, we still don't have any answers. The youngest and last surviving Sodder child, Sylvia, um, was 69 at the time of the you know, reports that I was reading. There's one really good Smithsonian article on this case. If you're interested in it, dig into it. Um, but that was, in, that was written in 2012, and she was 69 at that point. And she does not believe that her siblings perished in the fire. Um, she still visits true crime websites and engages with, like, web sleuths who are still interested in her family's um, mystery. And she was two years old the night of the fire. And those are some of her first memories. And she says that she'll never forget the sight of her father bleeding or the terrible um, symphony of everybody's screams. And that she yeah. is no closer now to understanding why it all happened. Damn. Um, there are some, if you go onto Reddit, this is a big case there. There are some paranormal sorts of explanations. The beef liver is brought up a lot as some sort of like ritualistic sort of thing. Um, I didn't get so much into that side of it, um, but there is a lot there. If you're interested in the case, definitely dig in. Um, and uh, I have heard, after I started researching this, I heard that our friends over at APC actually did an episode on this motherfucker. So mm-hmm. our girl Donna covered it. So hop over there if you don't listen to Paranormal Chicks podcast. Um, they're super cool. They're our friends. I think it was a couple months back. Um, I clearly missed that episode because I knew nothing about it. Um, but, uh, definitely listen to her coverage of the case. I'm going to listen to it after we record, we finished recording this episode cause I didn't want it to color my view of the case, obviously. Um, but I know that she is super into the paranormal sort of aspect. So I'm excited to hear, um, what her theories might be as to what happened to the Sada children. Mm-hmm. So that's a creepy one. Yeah, I would say just a little bit. That one bothers me. It's like, how do five children just blink out of existence? That's insane. Yeah, no, I don't know about that one. That um, I there's a lot of weird things. There's lots of like that's some unsolved mystery shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It gives me that like at the same time that I feel like. It's it. I was talking about how like it's harder to cover more recent cases because you feel like the wounds are still there and the people who are involved are, you know, still alive and still dealing with their trauma and and what have you. It's this one is kind of hard in a different way, even though it happened a long time ago and a lot of the people who were involved with it are now maybe deceased, maybe not. Um, but it's hard in a different way because there's so many things that could have happened. Was it a mafia sort of thing? Was it connected to like Mussolini supporters? Was it something paranormal? Was it something like in involving some kind of like weird ass Italian? I'm going to need an edit there. I burped directly into the mic. Was it something involving some kind of like weird ass Italian, like ancient fucking witchcraft, like involving beef livers? Let me know. (laughs) I don't know of any rituals involving beef livers, but I am, you know, a recent vegan, so I don't believe in beef livers. I don't believe in livers. (laughs) (laughs) No, you should. Uh, Liver is delicious. 
that's true. I do like fried chicken livers from Cracker Barrel. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. And I do too. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear your theories. If you're familiar with this case, um, tweet us, email us at the Haunted Heart Podcast at gmail.com. Get up on our Facebook group and chat at us about it. Um, and basically let us know. I want to hear what your theories are if you're familiar with the case. So that's my that's my story. I told you I was going to tell you a story. God damn. It was a long ass story. Shit. Didn't you just miss me blathering on and on last week when we didn't do this? They thought they did. The week <laughs> the week with no podcast? No, they thought they did. And then when you started, they're like, Oh, I remember oh, this. Oh, God. Oh, this, shit. I forgot. This is how this podcast goes. Damn. Shit. I forgot she never fucking Good in stopped. theory. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to acknowledge before we move away from um, that story that my main source uh, was a Smithsonian article written by Karen Abbott in 2012 called The Children Who Went Up in Smoke. Thanks so much, Karen. I appreciate you, girl. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Appreciate your research abilities, Smithsonian. Uh, also, the article that inspired that story was by Emily Todd Vanderwerf. Vanderwerf. That's actually her name. Um, who is a fabulous human being. And there's an article written by her on Vox.com called Nine Real Life Horror Stories of People Who Disappeared and Were Never Found. So if that wet your whistle and you want to hear more stories that will fucking depress the shit out of you of people who just blinked out of existence so that you can have something to talk to your therapist about this week, then you can find that article on Vox. Yeah. Thank you for that. So what do you have? I feel like that was a commercial for Vox. (laughs) So what do you have for us this week, my darling? Well. I have this glass of wine that I haven't touched, and I'm ready to hear a story. Well. I've told one. So you talked a lot. I did. So I'm going to go. I had two options. Because sometimes with us, you never know. Because we're likely to bring the same fucking thing to the table. 100%. You always got to have a backup plan here at the Haunted Heart. I'm going to tell you what. We can flip it up. Yeah, so you Switch never it. you never know. <laughs> never, not once. Um, so I'm going to go with... <laughs> never, my... not once. <laughs> Sorry, I was a little slow on that one. Never, not once. No, but not once mentioned... have we ever known. <laughs> Case in point, yeah. had no fucking clue that APC covered the Sodder children. <laughs> no, I did. You didn't. I didn't. I missed that one. I just kept my mouth shut when you said that. <laughs> you did. Bless you for it. Like a Slytherin. I anyway. love you, Donna. <laughs> um, so you mentioned a, a, a website, not Vox, <laughs> not the Smithsonian, but something of much more um, uh, substance. The Reddit. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Crazy Reddit theories? Yes. The, your crazy Reddit I love Reddit crazy Reddit theories. theories. Yeah. So I just have a few things to close this out here because I know they're sick and tired of listening to us talk. Um, We're making up for lost time. For real. Hey, you didn't know we actually have a week-long episode for you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> a fucking like marathon episode where we wear diapers and just kind of like... Hang out for a week. That's not gonna work. That's not gonna work out. No, we just carry. Maybe mics we just record from the fucking bathroom. Oh, we just, we just carry just the mic carry to the mics bathroom. With us and this we is go. me shitting for five whole minutes on all you hoes. <laughs> this is the vegan poop you haven't heard. Oh, we poop look, glitter. Plant based shit. <laughs> we poop glitter. 
It's, I imagine it's just like little rabbit pellets. Anyway. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It is actually helping with my regularity. All right. So and here we go. moving that fiber <laughs> through my body is, be, is very helpful for mm. me and very healthy. Mm. So if you have gut issues, consider doing the plant-based thing for a while. Okay. All right. I just thought I was going to do Activia, like Jamie Lee Curtis said. So. Activia. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, I just have a few, just some, like, Reddit stories, some Reddit ghost stories here. People, you know, that have experienced the paranormal um, and, you know, have told their tales on the site that is Reddit. God, I love it. I'm so ready. I'm so ready for all of this that you know actually happened. <laughs> you know that it's real. you know real. for sure actually fucking happened. You know it's real. This story is called The Rocking Horse. And it is told by Reddit user Harris. Is that a sex position? Possibly. Back in, yeah, possibly. Definitely. Definitely. Totally. I think I've done it. Okay. Uh, as told by Reddit user Harris Seed. One night, when I was maybe 10 or 12, I had trouble falling asleep. Turns out it was depression. No. Um, <laughs> oh, no, now that, I take pills for it. As told by Reddit user Kenny. Um, my bedroom was the entire top floor of our house with my bed and such being on the left side and storage closets and a play area on the right. I was lying in bed when I heard a noise from the other side of the room and saw a rocking horse begin to rock. <laughs> Like, I'm just confused because is this he just saw a rocking horse, not like my rocking horse? It's like was it a random oh, rocking yeah. horse? Like like was it a rocking horse that he had there in his fucking room by his bed, which is weird. Right. That started rocking, or did it appear and then also begin rocking? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Or was it just rocking in general? Be more like, specific fucking rock Reddit. and roll. Who knows? Just rocking, starting rock, started rocking. I imagine it's just a rocking, uh, it's a rocking horse, but it's actually just like fucking Gene Simmons on <laughs> riding. <laughs> now that would be forth. scary, actually. That actually is terrifying. Um, side note: My mother actually used to have the Kiss dolls. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on here. They were um, these rather large dolls, um, and it was them and their full makeup and get up. And she used to keep them in the closet, and um, the Gene Simmons doll used to freak the shit out of me. So, there's that. Thanks, Gene Simmons. I can see that. Yeah. That would be frightening. Back My to mother our... just had a collection of Native American dolls. Porcelain dolls. Also first terrifying. Americans. I'm sorry. We're not supposed to say Native Americans. We're supposed to say First Americans. Okay. Well, all right. I respect you. I don't appreciate porcelain doll versions of you, though. Okay, back to the story. Back to the rocking. It was sitting just outside one of the storage closet doors. It proceeded to rock its way halfway across the room and stopped dead under the ceiling light. At this point, I was freaking out and just buried my head under my blankets and never peeked out again until morning. Ah, uh, so I see you took the Caitlin method. <laughs> Fact, that actually works. I see you took the Caitlin method here. When I woke up, the rocking horse was still in the middle of my room. 
Hmm. Furthermore, I got a stern reprimand from my parents for being up out of bed playing with my toys well past bedtime. Their bedroom was directly below the storage closet. I'm sorry, how old is this fucking Reddit user? Or is this he a story the, in the past? He was when he was 10 or 12. Got it. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. Just goes to show how much you listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I got a stern reprimand from my parents. He says their bedroom was directly below the storage closet slash play area and had heard creaking shuffling across the room. Dun, dun, dun. And that's the end of that. The next story I have is titled, as told by Reddit user Fuzzy Bandits. (laughs) That's half the fun of Reddit stories is the fucking username. It's true. The usernames are really good. I'm just here for the usernames, man. Fuzzy Bandits. What would your Reddit username be? Fuzzy Bandits. <laughs> Does my story actually? Fuzzy Bandits. Trash Talent 001. Trash Talent 01. And mine would be Trash Talent 002. Yep. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I used to babysit my cousin Alyssa. She was little, maybe almost two, maybe a little older. Okay. Maybe I just didn't know who the fuck she was. Okay, cool. Old enough to say sentences. She's definitely getting her fucking birthday present on time. (laughs) I just like old enough to say sentences. She's definitely not getting one of those birthday cards where they cross out the age where they're like, oh, happy 11th birthday. But they cross out the 11 and then change it to whatever year is correct. Like the relatives who want to send you a card, but they don't know you. Birthday card. Mm -hmm. I'm giving her a bath before bed when she looks out into the hallway and gets a terrified look on her face. Fuck that. Fuck children for that. Fuck that. (laughs) Hate that. Children and cats. Those motherfuckers will always do that look behind you bullshit. Fuck them for that. Uh Uh-huh. Well, apparently she starts crying. Her. (laughs) At this moment, my aunt's Pomeranian starts going nuts as well. I mean, probably because it's a fucking Pomeranian. Yeah, it's true. It's a Pomeranian. Unreliable. It's going nuts. You got, a, you got a Pomeranian and a questionably two to three-year-old child. Two, three, four, five, six-year-old child. 18. You bathe in it. <laughs> it's fine. No, your Pomeranian's going nuts because it's a fucking Pomeranian, okay? It probably looked at its fucking self and decided <laughs> it was fucking insane. It realized it was alive and then it, had a fit. It, it, it took a breath of air. I can relate. Yeah. And apparently it was barking and growling into the hallway. The atmosphere in the room became uncomfortable and I started getting scared. I took her downstairs from the third floor in the townhouse to try and calm her down. I asked her what was wrong and she said something along the lines of, The man with the black eyes was there. When I continued to pry, she looked up at the second floor stairs, her eyes getting big and looks at me, bringing her finger up to her mouth and said, Shh. While shaking her head, no. My next story. I'm going to be like, ask him no, what fucking not. bills he pays in this house to just be fucking standing around up in here. I'm going to need you to pay a bill, sir, if you're trying to be up in here. <laughs> How about you go the pay fuck on bill. somewhere? I'm washing this child. <laughs> How about you help me out with that? How about you pick a chore? <laughs> Do you hear about that person who broke into somebody's house so that they could wash dishes? I, shit, where? Where are they? They at? like broke into the house and cleaned it. Where are they at? Where are they? I don't at? know. It was amazing. I mean, don't break into my fucking house. But also, wash a dish if you're here. 
Yeah, for real. The next story that I have is called Family Reunion, as told by Reddit user Big Chala. Big Chala. (laughs) I love it. One day, when my daughter was two, we were having a typical terrible twos moment. She was throwing a bit of a tantrum for about five to ten minutes, and we couldn't get her under control. At some point, sounds like me with Katie. Um, trying to get her to <laughs> every recording record a session. fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> she's having, oh, it's just, she's having a podcast moment, you know, just fucking she's tape in her the, down. She's in the pod zone zone. <laughs> at some point, she rather suddenly stopped and started staring at the wall. Here are these fucking kids again and fuck staring em. at I'm shit. I'm going to tell you what, fuck them. She then started lightly giggling. It was weird. One second she is crying and screaming, and the next she is smiling and happy. Also because she's a fucking two-year-old child. It's true. (laughs) And that's what they do. They're horrible. Don't have them. I don't recommend them. (laughs) Then she starts saying, funny lady, over and over. We asked her who she saw, and she pointed to the wall and again said, the funny lady. She's pointing to Katie. Hey. Katie is a ghost and she's sitting there and she's like, hey. That actually would be terrifying. It would. It truly would be. When we asked her to describe who she saw, she described my deceased grandmother. I mean, exactly described her. She had never met her and I don't think had ever even seen a picture. Not that a two-year-old could remember a picture. I am not much... How was she describing her? How was a two-year-old describing her? I don't understand. I guess, like, what... I I guess it's a two-year-old with a hell of a vocabulary. Maybe. I am not much of a believer in the paranormal, but I know for sure that my daughter got a chance to meet my mom, and that makes me happy. Aw, you know, that one's kind of sweet. I I like that one. When I told the story to my parents... Wait, what? Deceased grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's fine. To meet my mom? Okay. They didn't seem as shocked as I was. When I tried to get a response for the, from them, they looked at me and said, I guess you don't remember that you met your deceased grandfather when you were three. The same thing happened to you 30 years ago. Oh, that's actually really sweet, though. I like that one. That was a good story. I like that one. That was a good story. That one's really good. I like it. Yeah. But that's all that I have I'm today. into that. I'm into that. That's very sweet. So the ones we love to... are all around us. Yeah. I just wanted to close this out with just something simple, you know. I might come at you next week with my own meaty story. Meaty. Meaty. You know I love... Meaty. Yeah, see, you got the plant-based episode this week. <laughs> next week, you might get the fucking ribeye, bitch. <laughs> with the fucking steak sauce. With that A1. Uh-huh. Kenny loves his A1. I do. All right. Well, Wait, I you're guess... you're my A1. Babe, A1 says day one. Wait, wait. All right. I guess that means it's time to close it on out. So follow us on Twitter at The Haunted Heart, on Instagram at The Haunted Heart Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at The Haunted Heart Podcast. Please like our Facebook page and also consider joining our Facebook group. It's a cool gang of cool kids who talk about cool shit. Um, And... 
check us out. If you have any feedback on our stories today or just want to share shit with us, you can always email us at thehauntedheartpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get your very own invocation on an episode of the show, just like Megan and Morgan from today's episode, you can find us at www.patreon.com slash thehauntedheart. And you can sign up there and see all of our cool tiers and all the benefits and shit. And, uh, and join us. Join us on Patreon. Yes. And we also uh, are going to be attending the True Crime Podcast Festival yes. in downtown Chicago at the Marriott on the Magnificent Mile. Yes, we will be there. Um, the APC podcast will be there. The podcast that we mentioned today, we're kind of going to do like a joint meetup type thing. So if you listen to us, if you listen to them, if you listen to both of us and you want to hang the fuck out, then that's exactly what the fuck we're going to do. Um, the podcast festival itself is during the day. Um, if you want tickets to that, you can find them at TCPF. 2019.com I think tickets are kind of scarce so if you are in the Chicago area or your road tripable dif- distance from the Chicago area or you're a fucking millionaire and you fly wherever the fuck you want and you don't let the man keep you down because you are the man because you are rich um, then go to tcpf2019.com and get your motherfucking tickets and, and we will say hello fucking- yeah, and even if you aren't fucking rich, even if you don't attend the fucking festival, come hang out with us. Yeah. If you can make yes. it. Yes. Even if you don't attend the festival, the we will have our own um, meetups. So let us know through email, uh, Facebook, however the fuck you want to let us know that you are in the Chicago area and you are down to meet DTM. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then we will let you know uh, where we're going to head to. I think we're just going to head to a, an, a local bar. So. Yeah, you and got trust good me, bar recommendations. You'll want to hang out with us. <laughs> 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 All right, okay. God. I think that's it. We did it. We made it through our God first episode damn. back. We did. We did. We did. All right, All right. friends. Well, well, um, I don't know if I can do this. I gotta. <laughs> until we meet again, you've got to stay spooky. spooky.